to Stuck in My Mind podcast, the show where we dive into the mind of a regular guy on his road to self-discovery. You'll hear everyday people just like you share the latest topics, personal stories, and things they've learned along the way. And now, please welcome your host, Wise. And welcome to another episode. I am your host, W-I-Z-E Wise, and I have a special guest in the house. I have Scott Silverman in the house. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, Wise, I'm doing great, man. Nice to be here. Oh, no, the pleasure is all mine, brother. I, I This is uh, a topic that's very dear to me. It's really my honor to have you on the show. So, um, Scott, tell everybody what you do out there. I missed that last part. Say that again. I said let let the people know what you do for a living, Scott. Oh, great. Yeah, and that's what I thought you said. So uh, we know that uh, we're both pedaling as fast as we can today to keep the Internet moving. Well, um, I live in San Diego, California. I grew up here, still here. Got on Medicare last year, which gives you an idea that I'm over 44. And so my copay is a lot less than it used to be. Uh, just a quick thumbnail. I'm a crisis coach, a family navigator. I run a, a outpatient substance abuse treatment program. And I've been in long-term recovery for a little over 35 years. So what that means is um, I haven't had a drink or drug for 35 years. And I, I share that publicly because I want people to know that, you know, there is hope and help. And if a guy like me can do it, and if you Google me, Scott H. Silverman, you read some of my story, you realize, oh, my God, I can't believe that guy is still alive. And I'm in the business of helping people. I was just labeled a, uh, what they call me, a hopeless helper. And I look forward to people calling me uh, every day when I see an unusual phone number in my phone. I get excited because that means it's a chance for me to help a family member get their loved one access to treatment. So I'm kind of like a guide, a mentor, a coach, and uh, a family navigator is the term that I like. And I do everything I can every day to be of service in my community. And as a coach, I can help people anywhere and i'm going to throw my number out before we forget because i sometimes people tend to tune into podcasts and go oh let's go into 7-eleven and get some coffee so you want to talk to me or text me you call me at 619-993-2738 and i approve this commercial so the bottom line is i uh, look forward to helping people it doesn't matter what's going on with them whether it's depression anxiety you know they're just frustrated have children with behavioral health issues uh most around addiction though substance abuse self-medication and our treatment center works with a lot of professionals doctors lawyers first responders and we're just so fortunate it took me 18 months but we're now in network uh to help uh our veterans here in san diego with the third largest city in the country of veterans so i'm really excited about going into this new year and unfortunately the virus has really put people in harm's way at a much greater level the opioid you know, epidemic is just crazy and we're losing people every day with fentanyl and methamphetamine and you know counterfeit medication so that's kind of who i am and what i do so i uh, i hope those who are listening today that hear my voice or your voice they reach out and know that there is hope there is help and sometimes the, the, the three hardest words not sometimes the three hardest words in the english language are i need help but if you can find a way to get that out of your mouth and into someone else's ears or have a family member help with that it's amazing what treatment can do and there's experts all over this country in my opinion are that are right there in your neighborhood and they're well ready and willing just like i am to be of service and yeah and i and scott i i know what you're talking about because i had a brother who who passed away from opioid overdose 
and it's something that's dear to my heart because I lost someone who who had we we knew he had an issue and and the family tried to help him as much as they could, but the, his addiction got the best of him, and and he we one day they found him overdosed in the bathroom and and it's something that it, it still weighs on me heavy heavily, but I, I have to continue um going on. But I want to provide people an outlet. If they need someone to reach, that's why I, when he when Steve told me he wanted you on the show, I was like, definitely because because not even Steve knew the situation, like knew about my brother, and and it's funny because he kind of had a similar situation, and it's just amazing that he brings this to me without even knowing my story and and knowing about my brother. So as soon as he told me about it, I was like, yeah, because this is something that I, I I feel I'm passionate about. This is something that's near and dear to me because of losing my brother to it and i, I just i i just want to provide him uh, an outlet if anybody needs to to speak to someone like you scott or if you, if any anyone if they just want to reach out and, and and vent to me it doesn't matter i just want an outlet where i can help anyone possible so why why let me let me ask a question um i know this is your show but i'm going to flip-flop the uh the question side to you, you know, as somebody, and by the way, I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. I, I can't even imagine what that, as you know, as a family going through something like that. And I work with families all the time, but that doesn't matter to have it happen to you. Uh, all I can be is uh, hopefully some comfort somewhere along the line with families, especially uh, when unfortunately it is too late because substance abuse is treatable and there's treatment everywhere. So let me ask you, if you don't mind, what would you have done differently if you could if you knew what was going on what would you tell people um, as a family member who's lost a brother how and what they should be doing if they've got a loved one in their life right now because your your level of you know conductivity to it and your experience with it you know I could talk for two hours and you could spend five minutes and I think what you'd have to say would be a lot more important uh, than what I have to say so well, if, if you don't mind, that, take that question and, you know, tell your listeners um, what, what should they do? What should they be doing now to get their loved one support and help? I mean, obviously, they can call me, but from your heart, what's your experience? It, it, it's just, I don't know, it, it kind of, because um, at, at one point he, he was clean and we, we thought he was headed down the right path. And we had we had lost our father. To, um, to diabetes and and it, it just kind of we just kind of thought he was headed right down the right path and then for for me to receive that message one day that he had passed away I, I just felt like maybe I could have done more by actually reaching probably speak talking to him about it more but for me it was kind of it's a little bit it was weird because he him being an older brother how do how, how does a little brother tell his older brother hey you need to uh stop you're, you're you're ruining your life it's like so it, it kind of i don't know it's just now that i think about it it's like maybe i could have done more maybe we could have put him in rehab but then again if he truly wanted to be helped it could have been done differently I, I don't know i it's it's just i, I can't really explain that it's, it's, no, it's a, look it's a tough one and I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot but you know i'm from california and that's my job brother put you <laughs> on the spot but, you know, it's uh, it is a tough one, you know, and families, the, the, people don't organic parents don't organically know how to deal with a child who has started to self started to maybe to experiment, 
Then they went to self-medication. Then it became habitual. Then they started polydrugging and partying even more. And now they're at a point where it's out of control. Their behaviors changed. They've lost a lot of weight. They've decided not to go to school, don't want to work anymore, and may get into some sort of criminal activity because they, they need a way to cover the expense of their substance abuse and their addiction. And what's fascinating when I talk about this um, addiction, because I think it's an illness, it's like an allergy. And, you know, I love it. It's, it's uh, Robert Downey Jr., I think, said it better than anybody. Whenever he did cocaine, he broke out in handcuffs. And I think that's just a great way of talking about it. And when you think about this disease, like your, your dad, he had diabetes. Somebody who has diabetes, according to science, it's the same type of disease, not, not the same disease, but it's a disease, which means the treatment for it is getting assessed, coming up with a treatment plan, and then developing a recovery plan. And I don't want to make this sound simple, but I think if people understood that, we could start to reduce the stigma. So instead of you having to try to convince your older brother, hey, you've got a problem, other people around him, his friends, might intervene and say, look, bro, you know, last night we all went home at one o'clock. When we came back the next day at two, you were still there. Can we talk about it? So, you know, there's no easy way, but the stigma makes it hard. And, and think about this, Wise. It's the only disease, again, according to the studies, that when you call somebody and tell them you have a drinking problem, but you really don't think you need help, they say, well, call me back when you think you do. I mean, what? It, it doesn't happen with diabetes. It doesn't happen with a heart problem. It doesn't happen with a kidney infection. It doesn't happen with a broken leg. But when it comes to substance abuse, societally, some people still think it's a moral failing. And it's not. It is a disease. I, how do I know that? I have the disease. And I work on my recovery every day. And I know that if I don't manage it, you know, and again, I, you know, I got sober at 30. I'm 66. So for 36 years, this November, if all goes well, but 35 and three quarters, I work a little bit each day. But it keeps me alive. And it allows my wife and I to grow old together. And my, and my kids never saw me loaded. They're younger than I was when I got sober. They weren't born yet. But the bottom line is there is help and there is hope. And you're right. There is no easy way to tell someone you care about, you know what, you're going to die. And when, it, when an addict hears that, they get inspired for some reason. It's like a race car driver says, you know, if I could only go 20 miles an hour faster, well, there's some risk involved with that, but that's different. You have a whole team, everybody helps it. But as an addict, we isolate, we keep it a secret. It's a disease of denial. And we, we're not going to tell people we have a problem because that's just too embarrassing. And the stigma and the false pride and the embarrassment is just too high. Yeah, and 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 it's an addiction has been more... I'm, growing up is for me it was more criminalized than it was pe right. realizing that the people seriously had issues it, it, so it, like I grew up in, in Brooklyn New York during the, the the crack epidemic and and they were locking these people up instead of trying to treat these people 
because this this drug was was destroying their life. They 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 made them criminals, and and that's that's the big issue. But now that they're seeing with all these opioids overdose and everything, now they're realizing that it, it, it is an issue, is an, an, a disease and an addiction, and not something criminal. So for them to for them to start realizing that and work towards trying to help people more now than trying to make them look evil and vile for for something they can't control i just i just hope it, it, it progresses even more than what it is now you know um a buddy of mine works for the dea and he told me a story a couple of years ago you know we hear about fentanyl in the news all the time now first it was oxycontin for the last 10 years and right now basically a plane crash uh, of people die every day it's north of 160 and somewhere just short of 200 people every day are overdosing and dying. We're not talking just overdosing accidentally, but they're actually expiring. I mean, some of, you know, I'm at meetings more today with the medical examiner, <laughs> with the work I do sometimes than I am with the staff of the mayor's office. And that's kind of scary because that's where the data comes from. People go right from an overdose to the morgue. And that's where the data comes from. So we know it's pretty real. And the distributor, the sling, the drug dealer, was asked, you know, you sell a product that, you know, you don't make it in a lab per se with any quality assurance because they don't have any rules and your customers overdose and die. What kind of business is that where you're killing your consumer or your consumers dying from the product you sell? You know what his answer was? It was fascinating. And this is my competitor, if you will. He said, well, every time someone overdoses and dies, it hits the news. And whenever the news talks about an overdose of someone dying from fentanyl or counterfeit medication or Xanax that's whacked with fentanyl or methamphetamine, he says, my business goes up. So we don't need to advertise. The news media does it for us. And that's how sick the thinking is with because, you know, Technically, if we didn't have consumers, we wouldn't have distributors. And, you know, to be honest with you, Wise, I, I was a, I am a retired, unlicensed pharmacist. So I know what it's like to be a distributor. Back in my day, it was methamphetamine because it was made all over. San Diego had a part of its community that was considered the methamphetamine capital of the world because they were producing more kilograms of methamphetamine per capita here in San Diego and anywhere else in the country. But now it's made in big super labs. It has been for quite some time in Mexico because uh, they can do it there. And uh, people don't do it individually here anymore because uh, it's too expensive and they can't be competitive with it. And it's dangerous to manufacture. So it's kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, 15% of our country right now has an active addiction issue that will erupt this year. 15%. So if you take the 330 million people that live in our country, if you back out the young children, let's say nine and under, you, you know, you're talking about 260 some odd million people. And if 15 percent of those have an active addiction issue, think about that problem. But here's a more. And Steve promised you had come up with some great facts. And I do. I have them as an SME. I, I study this and I've heard about it and I've been completely embedded in all of the information to try to be a resource for families. And of the 15 percent. Each person who's under the influence of something mood altering or is impaired each day when they get up after they leave their bedroom they will impact seven people negatively every day whether it's family 
because they're impaired on their way to work under the influence or impaired from the night before at work with their own productivity or causing problems with coworkers. And do you think about that? So if seven out of 10 will be impacted negatively and 15% have an issue that will erupt in the next year, that's 85% of our population, 85% of the 260 million people in our country. And the kids, although they're not counted in that statistic, they could be one of those seven every day. Because if you're a parent who's under the influence and you have young children, you're probably not providing for them as well as you can while you're under the influence or self-medicating. And to, to add to all of that angst, you put the COVID virus where people are told to stay at home, asked to stay at home, while this hopefully passes sooner than versus later, th- those who had a slight problem now have a big problem. Those who have a casual consumption issue now have a greater one. I mean, people are in California, you know, we have legalized marijuana and, you know, pot shops are delivering marijuana with Uber and Lyft. And that may change because Uber and Lyft just, you know, a new proposition passed here where they're now considered employees, not independent contractors. But it's um, it's a scary time, 2020. And I hope and I appreciate, by the way, the opportunity to be here talking about it because a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. I have a news station here in San Diego, KUSI. They're local, independent, and they bring me in every couple of weeks to talk about whatever's topical. And unfortunately, there's something going on every day. But with the, you know, obviously election year and the COVID virus, schools reopening, um, it's not uh, a warm, fuzzy t- it never has been a warm, fuzzy topic. I remember being asked once by an interview somewhere else, they said, hey, can you be a little more upbeat about the morbidity rate? And I said, what? Yeah, no. I can smile when I say it, but how do you, how do I, how do I be more upbeat with families? I mean, if you, I sat down once about two years ago, started to do some of the data with, you know, 150 people a day, average of, you know, 3.2 people in a family, all of their friends and family, you know, it's, you're talking about tens of millions of people every single day that are impacted by this. And, um, it's not a party thing. I'm talking about the addiction side of it where, you know, cause people say, well, you know, I use it and I don't have a problem. Of course I hear that from everybody. It's like, yeah. it's like people, you know, everyone in jail, you know, I'm innocent. Well, you know, some people are, most a lot of people in jail and prison are there because they had a drug problem. Yeah. And I, I think our system sucks. I really do. No, All yeah. right. What else you got? <laughs> No, I, I agree. I with don't you. mean to go on, but no, it's 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 all good, man. It's it, it's it's life, man. It's things that that need to be discussed that aren't that aren't big things that media won't 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 talk about it because it doesn't it doesn't gain them no profit. They don't gain nothing from talking about this. It's not it's not a priority right now. They rather talk yeah. about the the nonsense. Both of these political well, parties, and I, you know, I. I bet dollars to donuts if fentanyl distributors could buy airtime, <laughs> they wouldn't. They would need to find other advertisers. They'd buy up all the airtime. You know, come see us nine to five, seven days a week. You can buy it by the gram. You can buy it by the quarter ounce. You can buy it by the kilo. We can sell you the chemicals so you can make it. I mean, imagine that. So it is interesting. And now on the dark web, oh my god. What goes on there is scary. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but you know, younger people are a lot more familiar with it. But it's amazing. You buy it on the dark web. You use a 
Bitcoin or some sort of electronic money, and there's no paper trail, and you get the stuff delivered in the mail. The USPS is the largest deliverer of narcotics that are illegal than the average dealers able to distribute on a weekly, monthly basis. It's it's not their fault. It's packed up in boxes. It looks like, you know, who knows? Amazon may be distributing it, uh, not knowing it. And I'm sure FedEx does and UPS does as well. You send a package in to a central point in our country, they repackage it and then distribute it out. I don't think Amazon could do it because it can't be in their inventory, but UPS could do it. Somebody said, hey, UPS, come to my house. I got 85 boxes I want to ship out. They're not going to ask what's in it. That's not their job. Yeah, they just did it. And I think it, was the, I think it was the uh, back in your neck of the woods it was um jf was it uh the, the airport there the big one there JFK. in new york JFK. They, uh, they said that they have jfk right yeah they have more packages coming in to jfk than any other airport in the country and it's so big a volume they can't physically possibly keep up with searching every package they said it out loud. So imagine you're a distributor in China going, hey, did you hear the news? Yeah. Shift everything from Los Angeles to New York. Get it out of Texas. Stop shipping to Florida. New York's finally admitted they can't check everything. There you go. I, I try. I, like, I really don't like discussing politics because it it, I, I, I don't enjoy it. It's nonsense to me it's to see these two, these two parties bicker and, and not help. They just help line in their pockets. That's all they're doing. They're lining their pockets and not caring about the people. The only time they, again, there's an election year, so now, of course, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, opioids and all these other stuff. But once election year is over, it's like they put it back on the back burners. So, it, Well, you know, if, if, we, if we spun the thought, for example, that when you think about how many voters are dying every day, a smart politician may pick this up and go, wait a minute, you're telling me that 6% of my constituents are expiring? because of overdoses or drug addiction. I mean, President Trump, I believe, said it today. I, you know, the, the, the reasons why he said it were different, but he said people are, are overdosing, people are suffering mental health issues right now. Suicide, I don't know if he said suicide, but, you know, because of what's going on with the virus. And so it's a, it's a secondary trigger. But in the meantime, people are accelerating their consumption right now. And you're right, no one's talking about it. Uh, you know, and I know companies where, they would say that you know, we have a major problem. I said, is there a way that you can send out a little newsletter and share some information to your folks that work with you to tell them that there's you know, resources in the community? And what's interesting is most people who are in charge of large groups of people or, or their major influencers, if they admit there's a problem, okay, or if they want to talk about a solution, they're admitting there's a problem, and then the, they think they're going to get in trouble for, for bringing that down on themselves. So that stigma is really a major barrier. Like I have a brother now who's who's in rehab, and but he it was his choice. He that he finally decided that he was, and this is another one of my older brothers, and his excuse was he needed it for the pain. He needed the what the ethanol for the pain or whatever, and. He's like, you know what? No, I'm I'm too old for this. I got a grandbaby here, a new grandbaby here. I have to, and he he put himself into rehab, and and this is something he hadn't done previously. Good for him. So I, I I'm I'm proud of him, and I, I can't wait till when he comes home and, and and show him all the support that he needs, and 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 anything he needs, anytime he needs help or he wants somebody to talk to, 
I'm, I'm willing to listen. And, and there's a lot of science behind pain. You know, when I talk about like Oxycontin, you know, and it was a it was a drug manufactured to deal with pain. The problem is it's so addictive and they they didn't know this in the beginning, but they've known for a long time and they just didn't, you know, they didn't take their foot off the gas, unfortunately. But there are people who suffer from pain and real pain. But a lot of pain, according to science, is in the brain. So how you treat the pain, it isn't with pain medication, because over time what happens is your body builds up a, you know, a, a resistance to it. And what happens to you, it, it no, it's no longer effective. I think it was the Surgeon General that literally three years ago finally came out and publicly said Oxycontin for long-term pain treatment does not work, does not work. And for probably 97% of the people that take it for that, over time it doesn't. You know, you build up that tolerance to it and you need to take more. And doctors now finally are slowing down the prescription writing. But the problem with that is if someone's taking a pill a day, every day, and the doctor only writes a prescription for half the month, what does the addict do to fill the other two weeks? Well, that's why heroin's on the rise. And people are mixing fentanyl with heroin to make sure that they don't feel that pain, you know, for the second half of the month. And I'm using an example, but it's it's a very difficult situation right now. And if, if we as a country and a community don't do something about it, the way we're going now, that that 180 number a day is going to double in the next two to three years. Wow. And, you know, not having a job, stressing out. Things are only going to get worse, unfortunately, not better. But again, I, I say that, but it's scary. When I hear myself say it, I think, God, you're so negative. But on the other hand, if your neighbor's house is on fire, you don't go get some ice cream and sit down and watch a different show. You make a phone call. You know, you, you go throw a rock through their window. You call them to see if they're home. Yeah. And then that's what's going on. We're just we're kind of turning the other way or we don't or or. I shouldn't say that. Or we don't know what to do. So when we do what we think we're supposed to, it, it usually alerts the addict to be a little more clever to hide their stuff and to go deeper in the foxhole so they can be a little more clever. I can remember when I drank with people who at 11 o'clock at night would say, hey, I got to go home. And I'd be like, what? We just got started. Now, I just ran to the bathroom, put a half a gram up my nose of cocaine. So I was ready to go for another four or five hours. So I stopped drinking with those people. They just slowed me down. But that's the way an addict thinks, I think. That's the way I thought. I won't, I won't generalize on anybody else. But, you know, I got in trouble the other day. I was on a Zoom call, and I used the word dope fiend about me and others. And someone sent me a chat and said, you know, that's not politically correct. And we're trying to change the way we talk about addiction. I'm like, really? Not, okay. It, 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 now you're really get yeah, it's and it, listen. That's something I, I know the I know the I know what the dope fiend is, and I, I've seen him growing up. And if 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 the shoe fits, like I don't understand. It's like why are you trying to politically correct everything now? It's not. I don't find it as a a, a, a bad comment. It's just something that is. This is someone that you know is a dope fiend. They're, they're addicted to the to dope. What's so what's so well, wrong? It's, the street, the people that are doing it, it's they get the term. Yeah, you know, if people look at me and they don't see me as a dope fiend, that's okay. Um, now they just see me as an old man losing my hair. But 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 my point is, 
it's I use the wording for a reason because I want to punch it up. I want people to know that, you know, if you are <laughs> and you suffer from addiction, you know, and I just forgot what they, the first part of that chat. They said, with all due respect, yeah. you know, when someone starts a statement like that, you know, you're going to get slapped. Yeah. yeah. So, and this is somebody I, I this is somebody I know pretty well who, you know, they, they wanted to slap me. And my attitude was, look, we have to stop keeping this a secret. I go to anonymous meetings. I mean, why are we anonymous? If people are willing to talk about it and share with others, it's a sign of my opinion of strength and it's a sign of humanity. It's kind of like when you have diabetes, you know, most people don't keep it a secret. And when you have cancer and you have to have extreme treatment, you know, your hair falls out, you lose weight, but things happen. But you don't, you as don't, a society, you know, but society don't look at, yeah, society doesn't look at a cancer patient the same way as they would look at someone who's addicted to, to, to drugs or whatever. They, 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 they think cancer is a serious disease, whereas they don't feel addiction is the same, is in the same form of, but it, it is, it, it's, it's a disease. Addiction is a, a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. And we need to start realizing that we need to treat it as, the same it's like it is a disease it's, don't think because oh no we just put them in rehab and and help them and they'll get out stop drinking or whatever no event if you don't get them the proper help and 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 be and and make sure that you really help these people because it's a, like you said it's an everyday struggle this is you go you live through this every day you battle this every day and yep. in order for someone to you you have to have some support. You need some help. You can't. Oh, you can't carry the burden all by yourself. Well, you know, it's a disease of denial, which means the addict denies they have it. It's a disease of the inability to feel feelings. So the fact that they want to stay numb, I call it, anesthetize oneself. So it's a tough. It's a tough conversation to have. It's a difficult disease to manage, and you can't. It's hard, if, if not impossible, to do it on your own. Just like diabetes. I mean, you, you can't do it on your own. It's like a broken arm. If you don't go to the ER and have an x-ray and get it fixed by somebody, you know, you're not going to be able to use that arm again. So I, I haven't found an easy way yet to motivate people. But I do know that whenever I do something like this, somebody hears it and hopefully someone will make a phone call. And if they don't call me, which is fine, they think, you know, hey, that guy said you can't do this on you because most addicts will tell their family, I-, I can quit. Well, okay. Let's see. You're, you're 37 now. How many times have you tried to quit? <laughs> you know, how many new cars have we helped you buy? How many DUIs do you have? How many family situations have you unfortunately seen disintegrate before our eyes because of your decisions that we know aren't wanted by you but you have you can't control them so how can we help that's not a conversation most people have with the people they love because it's not a normal conversation to have in my opinion yeah, you're right yeah it, it, it's it's of something that's especially in 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 the black and brown community it's it's something that's more frowned upon it, it, we don't we don't look at it as again a, a disease. we we make it i don't know i, I it's like 
and and you make fun of that relative that's a fiend, and and it shouldn't be that way. We should realize realize that this is someone in our family that needs help, and we need to go out there and truly help them. And 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 this begin again. It starts at home. It, it begins in the communities. We really need to realize that it, it, this is a serious issue, and these people need to be helped and not treated as 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 criminals and second-class citizens. Yeah, I agree. But uh, give everybody that number again, Scott, because we're going to keep giving that number. My phone number is uh, 619-993-2738. You can always Google me, Scott, middle initial H for hope. Silverman, S-I-L-V-E-R-M-A-N, or go right to my website, yourcrisiscoach.com. And people are thinking, well, he's in San Diego. You know what? 90% of my coaching and interventions and family navigating, it's done by phone. And now with Zoom, most people are home. So it's a great time to have the conversation because, you know, we're not, we're not all rushing back out. This is going to be home for a little while. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be a tough year for everybody between the virus itself the morbidity rate with overdosing. And you know who's taking advantage of all that? The drug manufacturers, the illicit drug manufacturers, the counterfeit drug manufacturer medication people. They they know that we're the best consumer here in the United States. And, you know, and no matter how hard the Department of Justice works, there's just no way they can protect every inch of the border work the waterfronts, handle the air traffic that comes in, or people just driving across or shipping it through the mail. So at the end of the day, it's going to require us to do it. So I really encourage people to call. And I tell you what, anybody who hears this wise, comes if they mention your name and this show, I'm happy to give them 10 minutes free coaching. And when you look at my coaching rate, it's a good value, and I'm happy We're having a little bit of technical difficulties. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Wise from Stuck in My Mind Podcast. And if you're an artist, creator, director, musician, actor, producer, and you need a publicist, look no further. Reach out to my man, Steve Joyner, and join his network. He's an amazing publicist. So if you definitely want to be on some of the best podcasts and some of the best shows out there, Definitely reach out to my man, Steve Joyner. His number is 816-605-4561. Again, that's 816-605-4561. Definitely shoot him a text or give him a call. Or you can email him at stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. Again, that's stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. Definitely reach out to Steve and let him know you're interested in looking for a publicist. And let him know why I sent you. Peace out. Yeah, I was having technical difficulties, so I had to go play the promo. It's okay, man. You got you have everything you need from me, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. We're all good. Good. But so, th- how thanks. was that? Was that okay? Oh, it was awesome, man. Thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. Like I said, to me, it's a personal issue, so I, I appreciate you doing the show and... Hopefully someone out there hears it and it helps them. Good. I appreciate it. So when do you push this out? Uh, Probably by the end of the week. 
I have a couple of more episodes I have to Perfect. release by, by the end of the week, hopefully. Okay. And I, I didn't even mention it, but this is, you know, this this month is Recovery Month, National Recovery Month. I'm going to go make dinner now. Oh, no. oh, Scott, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Wise. All right, have a great day. That, that's okay. Yeah. Take care. All right. That was Scott Silverman. I appreciate you being on the show, Scott. It was an uh, honor to have you on. All right, so now it's time for the inspirational quote of the day. Gracefulness has been defined to be the outward expression of the inward harmony of the soul. William Hazlitt. And that was the inspirational quote of the day. I'll be right back. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris Fristali of Breaking the Fourth Wall. If you enjoy our show, you can find it on YouTube. Just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment or just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And also you can find us on all the social medias. Just look for Realm of the Mist Entertainment. And I will catch you on the other side. All right, and that was a quick promo from one of the members of the SJ Network, uh, my man Chris. I was on his show not that long ago. I had a great time. Hopefully, he'll be on Stuck on My Mind soon. So, big shout-out to my man Chris Stoley. And now it's time for shout-outs. Big shout-out to my man Steve Joyner, always hooking me up. As always, great job, Steve. Scott was amazing. All right, big shout-out to the Talking Real 1000 crew, Poppy J and King Sace. Y'all dudes are killing it. Keep it up. Big shout out to my wife, Fina. I love you, baby. And big, big shout out to all the essential workers out there. God bless you. Be safe. And you know how I always do it. Wise is out. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Listen on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and TuneIn. Find us on social media on Twitter at wise underscore B underscore blunt. Instagram at wise underscore B underscore blunt. And a Facebook fan page, www.facebook slash wise76. Check back soon for new episodes. Until next time, peace out.